Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Bowery Boys, episode 39, The New York Yankees. Ball game over. World Series over. Yankees win! The Yankees win! Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. Tom still isn't here, but uh, he'll be back next week. I have a special guest with me, though, because I'm talking about the New York Yankees. I just could not do it justice myself, so I called up one of my closest friends and biggest career Yankee fans. Her name is Tanya Bielski-Brahms. Say hello, Tanya. Hi. We will be going through 105 years of New York Yankee history in 30-odd minutes, so we can do that. But Tanya, tell me first how you got into being such a Yankees fan. I am a Yankee fan because my father is a Yankee fan. And when I was a little girl, we would listen to the Yankee games on the radio late at night. And it sort of made me a career Yankee fan. I love that story. I'm, I, came, I came to the game late, not being from the Northeast, but I am now a big Yankees fan. I'm so fascinated with the history. And on top of just the, the game and the players, by the way, we're going to speak of the Yankees as an institution, not so much as a team. We're not going to be batting around a lot of statistics. We'll be talking about the, the personalities, the managers, and just some of the big events and how they sh- shaped New York history along with it. We'll also be talking about Yankee Stadium, and this is the final year of it being open, so I, I feel it's uh, it's important that we talk about it now. So, well, the Yankee Stadium will be the host of the All Star Game this year, but then the stadium will close, and the new stadium will move and open across the street. So, get ready for nine innings of New York Yankees trivia. Play ball. Well, now I'm sure everyone knows who the Yankees are, but you know, I just I gotta situate. It's how we start. The New York Yankees, the Pinstripers, the Bronx Bombers, the Evil Empire. Have you heard some of the people call it the Evil Empire? Boston Red Sox fans <laughs> usually call them the Evil Empire. These are uh, Yankee the, fans, not so much. No, well, these are the these are the the nicknames. Um, they are, of course, in the Eastern Division of the American League. They are the winningest team in. All of sports. They're also they're one of the most loved and of course one of the most hated teams also. In their 105 year history, they've won 26 World Series championships and 39 American League pennants. If you do the math, that means two out of every three times they've gone to the World Series, they win it. People speak of the players as if they're gods from Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, 
Lou Gehrig, Nicky Mandel, Ricky Derek Jeter. Every, I mean, like, yes, even the current ones are, are getting this mantle of like immortality. Yankee Stadium itself is on 161st Street and River Avenue in the Bronx. It's been their home since 1923. Went through kind of an uglifying renovation, I guess, in 1974. Um, like I said, this is their last year, and a new one will be opening on the other side of the concourse, the Grand Concourse, in 2009. It's funny though, Tanya, because it's it is such a New York institution. But like, it didn't start in like Baltimore. Yes, the New York Yankees actually owe everything to the Baltimore Orioles because it's the Baltimore Orioles who were bought and brought to New York as the New York Highlanders. Oh, okay. A cop and a gambler <laughs> joined forces and brought the Baltimore Orioles for eighteen thousand dollars to New York City. Eight, wait, eighteen thousand dollars. Eighteen. Is what they were purchased for. The Baltimore Orioles. That's like, yeah, I mean, Alex Rodriguez makes that like like every 10 minutes playing. Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, so then they became, so they moved to New York and they became the Highlanders. They became the Highlanders because they played at Hilltop Park, which was at 165th Street and Broadway with the site of Columbia Presbyterian Church, um, uh, right. Presbyterian Wa- Hospital Washington today. Washington Heights, right. And the Highlanders because it was a, the high, one of the highest parts of the city. That name did not last, however. Um, Newspapermen found it a little too long to fit in the headline. (laughs) Whenever they went south, they were known as the Yankees. So Yankees sort of what they were eventually known as. The Highlanders. Well, it wasn't, it was even like a, it was just a nickname almost as early as like 1903. They weren't really that good of a team, were they? No, they finished last place in 1912. No, they they actually were not very good at all. Um, the the as a matter of fact, other players from other teams play better on that field than they did. Yes, yeah, so it wasn't that it wasn't that great for them. In 1913, um, they got a new name. Officially became the New York, New Yankees, New York Yankees, and they moved to the Polo Grounds. The Polo Grounds, which was where the New York Giants baseball. were playing. The baseball Giants. There's the football Giants later, but there's the baseball Giants. Yes, and um, they sort of rented space from the Giants. They're you know, sort of enemy. And they agreed to play both on the polo grounds. I believe it was because the old polo, there was a big rivalry. They were like, you can't play here. But then the old polo grounds burnt down. The Giants had to play on the Yankees field. And then they were like, oh, okay, it's all right. You can come and, you you know, you can come and play here. It would be a decision the Giants would soon regret. (laughs) Yep. Yes. So, so then they were, and they ended up getting sold again. They got sold in 1915 for four hundred and sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars to a man named Colonel Tillengas La Amadou <laughs> Houston, who was an engineer, and Colonel Jacob Rupert. Say that again, Tanya. Tur- Colonel Tillinghast. Cur- Tilling- Tillinghast. The Amadou Houston. All right. So that, um, and my apologies other. to his family if I'm mispronouncing <laughs> that. But Jacob Rupert. Was who, a brewery owner. You owned a brewery. And what better way to sell beer than to baseball fans? Right. That's, that's kind of one of the reasons he bought the team, right? Yes. But we can thank him, especially because, well, he did end up just buying the team outright. But in 1919, he made a very pivotal decision, and that was to... To put a curse on the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Uh, Babe Ruth came to town on that day. You know, Babe Ruth is considered basically the greatest baseball player in history. Great versatility as a pitcher, which people don't know because he made a lot of his reputation as an outfielder. With Babe really comes the uh, origin of the rivalry between Boston and New York. You know, so he was, he played in, during the 1910s. He played for the Boston Red Sox. He was a rising star. And then a kind of demanded a raise from his owner, you know, an outlandish sum of $20,000, double his original 
family sa- salary, $20,000, $19,20. The team owner, whose name for the Boston, um, his name was Harry Frazee. He refused to pay this. He sold Babe to Rupert. Now, the popular myth, I mean, it's, it was a salary dispute. But the, I love that the popular myth about this was that Frazee also was producing a Broadway musical. Absolutely. And it was, I believe, No, No, Nanette. <laughs> No, 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 Nanette. And that Which, of course, the, is such a huge, you know, success. I mean, you know, no, no, Nanette, right? Um, I can't sing a song from it right now. My but, point being, everybody yes, knows exactly. who Babe Ruth is, but right, nobody so. really remembers no, no, Nanette. Well, whatever, whatever the case, this is basically the curse of the Bambino starts here because Ruth would go on to such mythical success with the Yankees and become the most famous baseball player ever. He was, I mean, he was so big. He was such a, he was basically a huge celebrity, one of the biggest celebrities on the earth. Absolutely. In fact, he was too popular um, because by this time, he was drawing people to Yankees games and the Giants who were staying at the Polo, who were playing at the Polo Grounds as well, were totally being upstaged. Like 1.3 million people would see the Yankees at one point, double the Giants. So the Giants, well, not surprisingly, had enough and basically kicked the Yankees out. Yeah, they said get lost. So the Yankees had to find a new home. And they and they built one. And what's funny, they funny enough, they built it right across the river uh, from the Polo Grounds in 1923. The Yankees are nothing if not sarcastic. Rupert actually bought the land from William Waldorf Astor, believe it or not. They built it in 284 days, just less than 10 months. It was the first place to ever be called a stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Before they were called just ballparks field, or fields. Right? Exactly. You know, Fenway Field. Um, that says a lot about New York, too, that they would be so strong in ego that they would just call it stadium. <laughs> um, and But it, it absolutely met its expectations. Oh, because of, of Babe Ruth. And you know what they even said, Tanya? That, I mean, well, they call it the house that Ruth built. Yes. And, you know, he didn't, like, do brick and mortar or anything, but in a way it really was built for him. The right field, like the line, it's closer to the to home base, correct? Yes, absolutely. It suited his abilities. To hit um, home runs over the right field fence. And in fact, when the Yankee Stadium was built, it's opening day, I believe they had to turn away about 20,000 people. When Babe Ruth died in 1948, he was actually laid in state at the stadium and people came by and, and saw his body. Anyway, during the the. 20s, 1920s, uh, he was, Yankees were finally experiencing some massive success. They actually called that lineup the Murderer's Row because it was such a spectacular lineup of players, you know, led by Babe Ruth and... It was also led by a man named Lou Lou Gehrig. Of course. Who is famous for many reasons. Namely, um, he was a brilliant ball player. He was first baseman for the Yankees. Um, he was known as the Iron Horse. I think the first thing people need to know about Lou Gehrig is that he actually was a native New Yorker. He was born on 92nd Street, I believe. And that's actually kind of surprising. Everyone's usually traded in or out for some reason. Yeah. He was a New Yorker born and bred to German parents who actually wanted him to be an architect. Um, and <laughs> instead, yeah, <laughs> instead, he actually became one of the most beloved baseball players of all time. He played two, more 2,130 consecutive games. But uh, in 1939, Lou Gehrig announced his retirement because he became very ill. And for a man known as the Iron Horse, this must have been a devastating, oh, sure. devastating illness. And the, while everybody today obviously knows, as, <laughs> well, knows of it as Lou Gehrig's yes, disease. Get, the, I was going to make the actual stupid joke. He got Lou Gehrig's disease. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, actually, the technical name for the disease is emotropic lateral sclerosis. Okay. And I'm, 
apologize to the doctors in the listening, <laughs> but this disease is a um, muscular disease. So while his brain was totally functioning, his body, which he made his livelihood. Yeah, he couldn't play. He couldn't play. Life. And this was a man who, after he played an entire game at Yankee Stadium, would go home and play with the kids in his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They don't actually make him like Lou Gehrig um, <laughs> anymore. I mean, he was beloved, and when he stepped down, he made a speech at Yankee Stadium, oh, right, uh, right. which is known as the luckiest man on the face of the earth speech. Mm -hmm. um, later, Gary Cooper would play Lou Gehrig um, in Pride of the Yankees, which I recommend everybody to put on their Netflix it's if like they a need a really good cry. <laughs> um, I was joking with Greg that it's sort of like the old yeller of sports movies. It's really, it really is. It's almost like too much. You just want to like get put out of your misery. It's so but sad. But it's very yeah. sad. And um, he passed away at the age of 37, Lou Gehrig. Um, wow, that's it, really young. Also, I should do as a caveat that in Pride of the Yankees, Babe Ruth is actually plays himself in that movie. Wow. Well, so, a, like I tell you, he was a celebrity. He was like a marquee icon. So even wouldn't, no one could play him. Um, on the heels of Lou Gehrig um, came another remarkable Yankee. Um, he's known as many things, Mr. Coffee, um, <laughs> oh, just, Mr. Marilyn Monroe. I was about to say Mr. Marilyn Monroe. I think I've heard um, of him. And most importantly, Joe DiMaggio, who was a phenomenal ball player and played really during the wartime years. Mm -hmm. Didn't DiMaggio even join the army? During this time? Am I crazy? Yes, Dima Am I not DiMaggio, who was actually described by the scout as Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and Shoeless Joe Jackson, all rolled into one. <laughs> um, after the attack on Pearl Harbor and after the 41 season, did join the Army and served, as did many Yankees um, during this time. What's kind of interesting is they still won in 42 with a kind of a at home staff of players who weren't who weren't <laughs> the backup at, team who weren't who weren't on the front right, lines right. fighting you know i heard a really weird story about joe dimaggio there was so there was a rivalry between joe dimaggio and the iconic player of the red Sox at that time ted williams they even called it the, the great rivalry because they were they were both just so good they were the best teams and they you know of the two rival teams so one night the two owners of the yankees and the red Sox got together and they got trashed at a bar. They Which were happens a lot in Yankee well, history. Well, I don't know why it's not surprising to me, but <laughs> they got to talking, and the, so the Yankees owner said, Ted Williams would play so well in Yankee Stadium. It would be amazing. And the Red Sox owner said, you know, I bet Joe DiMaggio do pretty good in Fenway Park. So right there, they shook hands and agreed to trade them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then the owners got home, and they sobered up a little bit, and then they realize, oh, well, we just gave away each, our best player. So they basically scrapped the plans. But could you imagine, like, what traumatic? It would have been traumatic for the Boston fans as well as the New York fans. But it is true that both players would have actually played better in each other's ballparks <laughs> because Yankee Stadium well, was built maybe. for Ruth. Yeah. And as amazing as Joe DiMaggio was, he actually played better on the road than he played in the stadium. Really? So it wasn't actually doing him any favors to play at home that well, often? Well, no, I, I think to say that would even be wrong because he still did amazingly Amazing. well. Right, right, right. So Joe DiMaggio, by the end of his period at the Yankees, got to work with sort of like the next guy that really pushed the team to what what they called the golden age. And it was sort of brought together by the manager, Casey Stengel. He actually was a ball player in like the, in the 19-teens and managed like the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Boston Braves. He wasn't very successful with major league teams, had more success with minor league teams. And so they actually brought him up from the minor leagues, believe it or not. Stengel was a total natural promoter. 
He was a real favorite of the press and he even had this sort of weird, <laughs> often nonsensical style of speaking called Stengalese. Here's a couple of my favorites on it. We have the combined results of all our catchers turned out fairly good and then bad. He almost <laughs> sounds like Yogi Berra at times. <laughs> um, the Sure, I smoke a lot, but not all the time. I stop when I go to bed and you can look that up. <laughs> But anyway, he was he was a brilliant manager. He was really hands on with his players, and just happened that he was playing with a such a roster of classic players. He actually ended up managing the Yankees to five consecutive World Series. Like I said, this is called the Golden Age yeah. of the Yankees. You had like Don Larson, who in 1956 pitched the only perfect game in World Series history. A perfect game being, of course, all nine innings with like no one from the other team getting to base. Yogi Berra, who was the catcher, who will catch up again a little bit later. Pitcher Waddy Ford, who was one of the greatest. He won 236 games for the Yankees, the most ever for the Yankees. And, of course, Roger Maris, who broke Babe Ruth's old home run record of 61 single home runs in a season. And and even during this time, the Yankees actually hired their first African-American player. Elston Howard, who played from 1955 to 1967. But the best player the player that's i mean if maybe second to babe ruth in terms of just reputation uh, at least to me anyways as a baseball card collecting kid when i was younger was mickey mantle who was the golden boy of baseball he played all 18 years of his of his career with the yankees you know he started in on april 17th 1951 or stengel said he has it in his body to be great Um, he replaces DiMaggio out in uh, center field and eventually sets World Series records for home runs and runs scored and runs batted in. He's also known allegedly for hitting the longest home runs ever. One supposedly 565 feet. They call it the tape measure home yeah. run. But I mean, how did they let's take a tape measure and roll it like 565 feet? I've, I've heard feet? that again and again. And I have not quite understand what a tape measure home run is. I mean, that's the length. By the way, 565 feet, that's the length of 94 me's <laughs> if you were to put 94 of me <laughs> head to toe that's how that's Greg is how, quite tall yeah so that's how long that would that would be pretty long he also became the highest paid player at this time which is not really surprising so anyway this is the lineup this is the golden age lineup it's probably the most legendary of any in baseball history and that was all through the 50s and the early 60s but like all good things the dream period the dream has to come to an end uh, the perfect team can't last. And because it, we're talking New York City, we're talking the 60s and the 70s, like everything else, they break down. <laughs> well, I think um, the Yankees kind of ebb and flow with the city. Yes, how- they do successful the city may be doing may be shown on how well they're doing in the ballpark and here's the, the downfall starts this way or at least yet yogi berra who i just mentioned was a catcher was actually made the manager in 1963 they actually made the world series that year but lost to st louis cardinals and then he was fired yeah well getting <laughs> fired as the manager of the new york yankees happens quite often as we'll so. soon see but here's the thing that really is the disaster i mean i think you know that about cbs in 1964 they sold the team to cbs and they bought it Remember these figures. He bought it for $11.2 million. Everything went downhill with CBS. During these years, they never once went to the World Series. By 1966, 
Okay, 1966. They finished last in their division for the first time in 19, since 1912. Yeah. This is pathetic. Yes, this is very, very bad and very disappointing for and Yankee then just, fans. And just as a symbolic just sort of sadness, then Mickey Mantle himself retires in 1969. So they have no marquee players. All these great players have retired and no one's really replacing them. And the city itself is sort of falling apart. I oh, mean, it, yeah. CBS sells them sells the team to a group of investors in 1973 for 8.7 million dollars. Are a you loss. noticing that? At its loss of 2.5 million dollars, that's how bad they were doing. One of the investors, though, which I'll have you talk about in a minute, was uh, a man named George Steinbrenner, billionaire. <laughs> uh, George um, was a shipbuilder, shipbuilder. from Cleveland, mm-hmm. known for his turtlenecks. He actually, when he bought the team, said he. It's so laughable now. He said he was not going to interfere, which, you know, whole <laughs> Greek dramas could be written about him not interfering. So, by the way, I should mention, because we've kind of lost track, what's happening to Yankee Stadium at this time? I well, mean, well, it's 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 been falling apart. It's been falling apart. It's, you know, was built in 1923, so it needs a renovation, so they get the renovation. Yeah, the city actually, well, the city buys it in 1972, and they, they have this two-year renovation. The Yankees then... They play at Shea Stadium. <laughs> Which the Mets aren't happy with, but the city owns Shea Stadium, so they can't really like complain about it. So basically, it does reopen in 1974, and finally things are kind of looking good because we have one of the most notorious periods of the Yankees, which they call, of course, the Bronx Zoo. Yes, not the zoo with the you know lions and the chimpanzees. <laughs> it was a little bit more wild. Um, it was pretty crazy. Stuff. Billy Martin, who was a former Yankee, was signed on to be the manager. Coming on his heels, Steinbrenner, who was known for buying really expensive players at the height of their power. Mm-hmm. He bought um, the contract. He bought Reggie Jackson and brought him here to the city. And Reggie and Steinbrenner were actually quite close, um, which drove Billy Martin ever more mad. Um <laughs> Billy Martin was probably a fabulous manager, but he was very insecure. Well, and um, tempestuous also. Yes. I mean, there was actually a fight. and They were playing a game in the summer, and Reggie did something that Billy didn't like. And when they went back to the dugout, they had to restrain the two. Unfortunately, it was all caught on <laughs> national TV. I mean, they usually have fights between opposite teams. Here's, <laughs> here's Billy Martin being held back. They kind of delivered, though. I mean, at Reggie, I mean, at first, they, it was seen is like a, the problem child but he really did, did deliver after a while he was um part of it was because martin did put him at the bottom of the lineup he didn't want to do anything um for reggie and so eventually martin got more and more incensed and, and one is, day i'm sorry this is 1977 1977 martin gets kind of drunk at a bar and um after losing a game and um stumbles up to steinbrenner's suite and he listens at the door and he swears he hears his players inside and he's hmm. a little paranoid, so he tries to burst in, and the door opens a crack, and Steinbrenner's there with the turtleneck going, there's nobody here. Martin opens up the door, and lo and behold, you know, no one's in the room, and Martin doesn't believe it, and he swings open the bathroom and finds Lou Pinella <laughs> and Thurman Munson in the bathroom. And they're they're just... They're talking? I mean, he's basically conspiring against them? Well, actually, no. The, the Pinella and Munson were actually there on Martin's behalf to try to convince Steinbrenner to lighten up on Martin. Mm-hmm. It didn't really actually work. Steinbrenner actually insisted that Jackson be put in the um, cleanup position. Mm-hmm. And it ended up working. And they went on to win the World Series in 1977. Well, he... 
three in a row in one game, but four if you count the one from the the game before. Yes, which was a remarkable during the World Series. You get about four times in a row, four consecutive times, and to hit hit it hit home runs is amazing. Reggie Jackson. I also don't know if you remember the Reggie Jackson candy bar, Um, but I do. (laughs) Well, I must have have eaten it as a kid. I mean, it was chocolate and caramel and crispies and it was delicious. But it's funny because Babe Ruth isn't named after the candy bar. No, it was after, I believe, a president's daughter. Um, oh, so it's so Reggie had his own. But, he had his own candy bar. But I uh, probably can't find it in your uh, local so store. So the I'm 70s, thinking. everything sort of picked up. Unfortunately, Martin, Billy Martin would end up being dismissed and rehired by the team up to five times. You know, after reaching this sort of burst of energy and, and game winning and, you know, really creating something that they haven't done since the 50s, then the 80s come along and it's like, what happened? As a matter of fact, I can best describe it this way. We don't have to talk about the 80s that much. There's nothing to say. <laughs> Their best player at the time, I think people would mostly agree with Don Mattingly, who was the first baseman, never won a World Series. Could you imagine being a member of the Yankees for over a decade and never winning the World Series? And they only got there once is last year, and then they lost it. Yeah. He's a big fan favorite, and I think part of it's just that. Yeah. It's like he never really got to see the you know the end of the road. He never got to see postseason as much and as all And he was turned players. down as manager not too long long ago so he's See, uh, still smarting a little <laughs> steinbrenner though is still up to some shenanigans isn't he yeah, absolutely steinbrenner for a man who said he was never going to get involved actually ended up hiring a private investigator to investigate dave winfield steinbrenner also got involved in some sort of gambling thing so the commissioner of baseball <laughs> stepped in and said you know what you are no longer running the day-to-day operations of this team you know i have to say i i, I understand the seinfeldian obsession with steinbrenner after reading so much about him i mean he George wants a calzone. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, Yeah, actually, Seinfeld, I think Steinbrenner owes a lot to Jerry Seinfeld because I think he softened his image. That Mm -hmm. and during the late 90s when the Yankees were on another winning streak, Mm -hmm. the images of Steinbrenner in the turtleneck sobbing as they were being awarded the trophy. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, say what you will about George Steinbrenner. This man loves baseball. One thing, um, because Steinbrenner was sort of pushed into the background by mm-hmm. the commissioner of baseball, was that they decided that to actually, instead of paying big money for all these players, which had been the Steinbrenner way, to instead to really focus on the farm team. And ironically... Which is how they, which is how they recruit new players. We're basically like, kids. Well, they really recruit kids. the kids from colleges and even high school and wherever. Well, they finally like decide to make their own, as opposed to like just grabbing players from other teams, they're like, let's we're going to make our own. And you, it's weird because you really can see these long-term results with what happened with the Yankees in the 90s. And, and they the, started or, yeah. winning again. Absolutely. So some of the players were like Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill, absolutely. Um, Mariana Rivera, um, Derek Jeter, all these people were, were really fostered by the farm system and brought in and it really you know ended up being the reason why they started winning these world series and it, and, it, and it helped right of course to have you know joe tory as your manager joe tory who is also a new yorker from brooklyn mm-hmm. um was a giants fan actually as a kid um and he was the manager um through a lot until the very till last year when steinbrenner offered him a contract that he decided was probably not in his best interest and then i guess as a sort of a, a like a bookmark i guess to sort of a history of the team proper like so what i had said earlier about Babe Ruth being traded because he wanted a salary of $20,000. So then, you know, the salaries now are completely outrageous. 
Well, really, you know, Alex Rodriguez just re-signed a contract worth $275 million. Alex Rodriguez <laughs> is um, their third baseman of the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. um, he was rumored to be leaving the team at the end of last season. Um, his agent actually was very eager for him to go, but in the end, he decided to stay, um, who wouldn't, for $275 million. <laughs> the Yankees really want to keep him because they are hoping that he will be the man who will beat Barry Bonds' home run record. Oh. And they want him to be, they want the person to do that to be a Yankee. And it's very likely he will do it. He's actually a very young man. Mm -hmm. So he's already hit over 500 home runs. Okay. So I guess we need to go back to a little bit to sort of summarize what the fate of the Yankee Stadium is going, is going to be. You know, while all this is going on during the 70s and, and 80s and all through the 90s, the stadium's actually being used for more than just games, for baseball games. I think this is amazing. They used to have big boxing matches there all the time. Muhammad Ali has fought <laughs> there, has fought at Yankee Stadium. It's such an unusual thing. He would have thing. been so tiny to see. Muhammad Ali and has shared the same space with the Pope. Pope right? John Paul II performed Mass there. And the Jehovah's Witnesses for decades have been having like these national conventions in Yankee Stadium. I just find that so unusual. And also, actually, the New York Giants football team played at Yankee Stadium for several years. Really? That's yes. kind of an awkward um, thing, Until but... they moved to the Meadowlands. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, they had a, the 9-11 memorial. I mean, everyone remembers watching that. You know, Tanya, that there's this really curious feature of Yankee Stadium, which I, I find unusual that they did this at first. It was, it's called Monument Park. You've heard of, the, of this little Absolutely. thing they have. Well, it's like it's basically bronze plaques of like the basically the biggest players and managers that have ever been. It's weird because it used to be in the middle of center field, right? Yeah, I can't imagine like, you know, somebody running for a foul ball and like banging well, right I into like and I've seen, Bruce, I, I like know. bronze they do. I've statue. seen images of people coming back to catch a fly ball, and they hit this monument. So, I mean, in 1975, they, they did move it. move it behind moved the it. fence, right? And there's memorials there for Luke Eric and Babe Ruth. Um, there's one for Jackie Robinson, I believe. Um, the, and the Pope. And the Pope one has one. Pope, Pope John Paul II has a <laughs> memorial there. But there's a 9-11 one there also. So... We're finally at the last year of the Yankee Stadium, and and then, like I said, the new one is opening literally on the. I love that it's just it's opening just literally on the other side of the street. Well, you know when usually when ballparks close, there's a lot of outpouring of people being very angry. I don't. You don't see that as much with the Yankee Stadium because the seven, the 1970s renovation was sort of kind of not very nice. No, when, it's not. <laughs> so it looks, what, Yeah, it looks like a 70s architecture i mean it looks like concrete yeah and, it's you like know, concrete poured in a massive round shape a bunt cake or something yeah <laughs> so the new stadium's actually going to look a lot like the old stadium um but it's going to have fewer seats than the present stadium huh is that just sort of like to keep the sort of integrity of the of the look and the style i guess i mean cause i it's, think you know... so the outside is going to look very much like the old stadium but when you enter the seats are going to be more spread out it's also going to have one million square feet of rental space so for like restaurants like you're going to have like a yankee village and I it guess? is yeah I was up there this weekend. By the way, you can take a tour of Yankee Stadium. They do it Saturdays at noon. I did not go on the tour because, of course, I got there a little late. <laughs> well, you know, it's a subway. But I was able to take some pictures and look at the new stadium. And it is kind of eerie. It looks like it's plucked right out, of an, out of an old picture. They really are keeping it sort of a traditional looking on the outside. Which is really the way baseball parks are being built today. They kind of recognize that 
it's an intimate game, um, mm-hmm. which is why I like it so much. And they should reflect that. They shouldn't be these monstrosities. That's incredible. Well, Tanya, we are at the end of our Yankee Odyssey. I want to thank you so much for helping me through it because I can you ima- I can't imagine me doing this by myself. And like you, you're just I mean you're rolling with information, and it wasn't well, it wasn't even off, off of notes. It was just rolling off your head. So I well, love that, Greg. Uh, it was truly an honor to be an honorary. <laughs> Bowery boy. You're a Bowery for the girl. Day. You're a Bowery, Bowery girl. girl. For the, if you want to listen to get some more information on the Yankees, some pictures and everything, on just all the other stuff that we put up on the blog, that is BoweryBoysPodcast.com. We also have our emails on there if you have any suggestions, any comments and everything. Anyway, Tom will be back next week. And uh, once again, I want to thank Tanya for popping in and helping me out with a potentially difficult topic but i think we i think we smoothly got through it so everyone thank you for very much for listening and have a great new york week whether you live here or not Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.